Welcome back to the Circle Change Podcast. How's it going, Teo? Doing good, buddy. Nice to see you again. Just so happy that uh, spring is here, and uh, we had a great draft last weekend, and I, I couldn't be more excited to be kicking off the season uh, on the pod. I know, and just for uh, a little uh, meta information for y'all, Chris just moved back to New York City, and he's uh, living, what, 10 blocks or so away from my place, so we're going to be doing more of these podcasts in person this year. I'm super excited about that component. Absolutely. You know, I, I moved back to be closer to the pod, and I, <laughs> I, I uh, found an apartment convenient enough to tell where I could go over to his apartment on a moment's notice and uh, get into the recording studio. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be the best season yet. I, I'm totally confident. Fantastic. Hey, um, speaking of which, how did you uh, how did you spend your off season? What's the latest with you? So I spent my off season. Uh, you know, the last three months knocking on doors and putting up yard signs for the uh, Pete Buttigieg 2020 campaign. I don't know if you've heard about him. He's running for president. Uh, he's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. So, you know, I've just really been caught up in the whole Buttigieg, uh, Buttigieg movement. I consider myself a butt bro uh, as one of his biggest supporters. So that's how I spent my offseason. How about you? Oh, that's wow. That's really inspiring. I uh, was not such an angel with my time. I was actually just fined by the SEC for posting on Twitter about taking my company private, um, even though I don't even have a publicly, I don't even own a publicly traded company. Uh, just goes to show you be super careful about what you post on social media. Wow. Good to know. Um, so we're just going to go through, I, I checked in with everybody to get a little recap of how they spent their off season. So we're just going to go through one by one and, uh, let you guys know how the rest of your competition spent their offseason. Uh, Cameron, Ken, Ken Cameron Nitty. So he went into business with his father, Figure Philbert, another member of the league. And the two Tribbets run a grifting business out of their tiny Charlotte, North Carolina studio apartment uh, where they run a door-to-door cash-to-gold exchange. Wow. Nice. I hope that's working out for them. Um, Andrew, our, our champion from last year, uh, I think his team name is Chips Alloy this year, which is great. Uh, spent his off season uh, living with his cruel aunts in a crooked old house on a hill. Um, he said it was really a bitter, demoralizing experience until one day a single peach on an otherwise barren tree grew to a tremendous size, even larger than the house. Uh, it turns out that the peach tree had a rare disease and the festering peach eventually burst, leaving the house and its occupants in a wretched mess. Wow. I wonder if that's going to be a metaphor for Andrew's season in fantasy baseball. Oh, shit. I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, Brad, who is enjoying my coffee. Uh, Brad became a minor celebrity in his native Prague. He lives in Prague. After leading a grassroots campaign to ban motorized scooters from the streets of his historic hometown, uh, Brad has some uh, young children, and those motorized scooters are just incredibly dangerous. And Brad's face was plastered all over the city. Uh, as the as the lead of this movement to get, kick kick them off the streets of Prague, and uh, I don't think it worked out for Brad, but he he found some you know he found a some substantial fame uh, being on the, the head of this movement. Man, that's awesome. Good, good. It's a good uh, good movement too. It's a good cause. Um, ben uh, Ben Epstein was hired by the Athletic and then fired by the Athletic after getting into a kerfuffle power struggle with Eno Saris. Uh, he was later hired, uh, rehired by SB Nation. So glad his voice is still going to be out there. Wow, that's that's incredible. Um, Matt Matt Tompkins, the newest member of our league. Uh, Matt had his first child about five months ago, so 
He's either going to be a soft target or a killing machine in this game. Uh, watch out for Matt. I don't really know what to expect, but uh, it'll either go spectacularly or he will fail miserably. <laughs> uh, moving on to Chris, uh, Chris Prince. Uh, I hear that he spent the first two and a half months of the offseason on a bender after his precious Clemson Tigers walloped Alabama in the national championship. Uh, he finally came to in the draft room for this league when Andy Barron's whispered in his ear about the challenges of drafting with the eighth pick, which many view as the most difficult starting point in the draft. Now, did you get an Andy Barron's uh, personalized uh, recommendation while you were waiting for the draft as well? I did. I'd already heard it because this was the second uh, draft I, I participated in with the first overall pick. I love that Barron's guy. Uh, Rook. He competed on Dancing with the Stars, but was disqualified in the semifinals when he tested positive for horse steroids. Huh. Yeah, I mean, uh, I talked to him because, uh, you know, we our desk are a few few feet away. Um, this wasn't really about the strength for him. This was uh, about the, the horse dancing uh, abilities <laughs> <laughs> that come with, with using the drugs. You know, lucky for him, he's still on the steroids and... Uh, uh, Dances like a star. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Mark Tribbett of Figure Filbert. Uh, Mark is the brains in the Tribbett family grifting business. Mark spent the offseason drawing up the plans to the one final big grift before he retires to spend more time focusing on fantasy sports and uh, breeding bull mastiffs. His, his true passion, breeding bull mastiffs. Cool. So uh, good luck on that final grift, Mark and Cameron. Uh, we hope that you guys stay out of trouble. Uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick's offseason was marked by reaching personal milestones uh, when he was officially pre-approved for a mortgage and also when he became a card-carrying member of the Rhode Island medical marijuana community. Congratulations, Patrick. I know both of those achievements uh, have, have meant a lot to you over the last few months. Uh, finally, Turner, the Justice League, back again. Uh, he spent the offseason getting as much inside information as he could from Corey Seeger's elbow specialist. Uh, you know, Turner looks unthreatening from the outside, but he's working all these angles and getting getting some insights that you you and I might not know. Uh, so don't be surprised if he has another Nick Markakis-like uh, moment throughout the league this year. So anyway, that's just a kind of a roundup on what everybody's been up to the last few months. Steady, Eddie. Good stuff. So should we start taking a look at the draft? Let's take a look at the draft. All right. Um, I'll start because I had uh, the good fortune to draft first this year. Uh, as you know, I really wanted to draft first last year. Um, we temporarily arranged to allow managers to select slots based on the order in which they finished the prior season. Uh, there's still some enthusiasm for that idea, but the majority still clearly favors the random assignment. I have never drafted first ever, and it happened to me two times in a row this year so far. So I've got trout shares all over the place. Don't need to don't need to dive into it, but just for the sake of I don't know having a little fun with Trout numbers, um, he keeps getting better. Like there, I saw some ridiculous uh, 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 tweet the other day from a Pakoda analyst suggesting that Trout had a forty five percent chance of breaking out this year, um, based on how good his peripherals are, even around the incredible body of work he's already produced. In this league, I think he's a, he's a cheat code uh, because his on-base percentage is 
I mean, it's approaching 50%. And there were stretches of the season last year where he like was more likely to get on base than, uh, than go take a seat on the bench. Are you worried at all about, uh, Injury problems with Trout. Uh, he's played 140 games last year, 114 the year before, after a long stretch of playing nearly every game. But is that a concern at all? Nope. I was just, uh, I, I posted on that in the message boards. I clearly uh, just having a little fun. I'm I'm purely excited for Trout. I have no concerns with Did you have a second, uh, a second thought about taking Trout at any point at, leading up to your draft pick? Did you you know, for a split second, think, ah, maybe Mookie Betts, you know, maybe I'll shake it up a bit. Or were you 100% trout the whole way? No, I, I don't. We can talk about this when we move to the next pick. I'm not actually a huge Mookie Betts fan. Uh, to me, Trout is the obvious number one. And if he's healthy, he will end up being number one this year. Okay, so that moves us on to our number two pick, uh, Mookie Betts last year. Listen to these numbers. 32 home runs, 30 steals, 438 on base percentage, 129 runs scored. Uh, so why why are you not a huge fan of Mookie Betts then? Well, I think some of it probably comes from the fact that he plays for the Red Sox and it, it hurts. Acknowledging his talent hurts. Uh, and I do acknowledge it. I think he's an incredible guy, like uh, great player. Um, I'm not sure if you heard the story about him feeding the homeless after game <laughs> two of the of the Is that uh, true? ALCS. Yeah, he was like, he didn't even promote it. He was spotted by some by like a random passerby distributing hot food to the homeless on the streets of Boston at like two o'clock in the morning between ALCS or ALDS games. Wow. Um, so clearly just a, a great guy, great baseball name and produced at an elite level for me. Like when I compare trout to bets, I see a wide gap in on base percentage. Whereas in a standard five by five format, uh, might actually favor bets over Trout, um, even though it's still close there. For me, I, I just there is some variability with with bets. He wasn't that great the season before last. Uh, still very good and not like a risky pick. But one year he has David Ortiz guarding him in the lineup and he hits like a god. The next season he loses that. The next season he gets JD Martinez uh, and he's right back on top of the world. Um, JD Martinez is an injury prone player. So I just, if something were to happen there, or if JD Martinez were to come back a little bit to, to earth, does that, is that going to bear out this theory that this is about lineup protection and, and change the, uh, change the formula a little bit? I just, you know, I think he's a sort of smaller guy and I, I never really fully believe the 30 to 40 home run power from a player like that. Um, and the other thing, and I got this very wrong, was that prior to last year, his career on base percentage was in the like three forties or something. That's not that's not actually a plus in this format. Suddenly, and this, I think that the takeaway here is, if if you're looking at a really talented player with a very high batting average, and you're thinking on base percentage isn't quite where it could be, they can add that in. Like that's that's the last box for them to check. Mookie Betts is just going to start walking more, and suddenly his on base percentage is second only to Trout. So, what would you predict Mookie Betts's on base percentage will be in twenty nineteen? I think it'll come back down a little bit. Uh, it really, I I don't know. I guess it depends what's happening around the lineup and whether he's batting first or second. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pencil in like four four hundred to four ten, uh, which is extremely valuable just a little below the high watermark he set in, in what could be a career year. 
Fair enough. Well, I'll be interested to see how that turns out. I mean, I had bets a couple of years ago and I loved him. And then he had that little, little bit of a lag the year after that. And I mean, he looks like the, he, to me, he looks like the only player out there who could really threaten Trout as the best player in the league right now. But um, I think there are a lot of factors that perhaps don't play in a fantasy baseball that, that make me ha- ha- say that about him. So we'll see if you can keep that on base percentage up. I mean, anything over 400 and I mean, you're not going to be let down. I don't. I don't think uh, Glaber hardly knew her. Yeah. I look. I mean, having said all that, I think he's the obvious number two pick here. He doesn't challenge Trout for the top in this league at all, in my mind. But that was a, that was the obvious pick, uh, and uh, I have no problem with it at number two. And then number three, uh, we have uh, Nolan Arenado, uh, picked by Figure Filberts. Arenado, I would call the most consistent offensive player in fantasy baseball every year he puts up similar stats um the on-base percentage is not quite as strong as as bets or or trout from last year but i think that the, you know the dependability of of nolan arenado hitting 35 home runs 100 rbis um helping out with over 100 runs scored i mean that's what you want out of a first round pick right absolutely i I have no. I I think if I'd gone third, I would have taken Jose Ramirez, um, just because like this is sort of broader theme about the top twelve. There are a lot of players here who can give you a mix of home runs and stolen bases, and you you really have to consider the on base percentage uh, angle. Arenado doesn't hurt you in that category. He kind of he keeps it in the road, but there are players here who can elevate that stat for you, and it hurts less later in the draft when you have to settle for for guys with like. 350, 340, and so on, uh, OBPs. Uh, he is not going to regret this pick. I think Arenado is going to have another amazingly productive season. Um, this just gets into the, like, this is suddenly where people can disagree about who, who should go next. Yeah, so uh, the fourth pick of the draft was uh, the aforementioned Jose Ramirez, who in the Yahoo pre-draft rankings was ranked as the 10th player uh, so this is really the first surprise, although, I mean, if you're following Jose Ramirez last year, I don't think anybody would have said, I, I'm not going to take him the top five picks. But uh, last year, I guess you could say it was his true ascendance to MVP level player, 39 home runs, 34 steals, uh, you know, over 100 runs, over 100 RBIs with a, a not top flight, but, you know, 387 on base percentage. So he's a five category player for sure. Um, why do you think he dropped down to 10th in the pre-draft rankings? Well, I, th- I think he's just the kind of player who's like, you know, he, he doesn't get the respect he deserves for some reason. Nobody saw him coming. There are probably still some people out there who don't really fully believe in him. Um, he also had a very slow second half, and his batting average was lower last year than it had been the year before. So there was a notion, I think, that he sold out uh, for power uh, a little bit, and that that introduces some volatility to his profile. It's a good point. His batting average on balls in play was lower than it should have been. So I, I expect him to seal in his gains on the power front. He walks a lot. So I think the on-base percentage could go from like very, very good to elite level. Um, and I, I really think the, the ranking was a serious mistake for Yahoo. 106 walks to 80 strikeouts last year. Uh, You're kidding. That So, I mean... <laughs> You, once a player starts putting up those kind of numbers, I, I feel like they've really established themselves as yeah. an elite player. 
and it's it's harder to say that that was a fluke season for him once you once you think about it that way. So, and, and plus the fact that we have a corner in middle infield slots in this league, and yeah. Ramirez has eligibility in both of those both of those fields. So, um, you know, he he set a pretty high bar last year. Um, maybe there's some hesitation that he can put up those power stats again, but. I would be feeling pretty good if I was Ken Cameronetti about that pick. Yep, that was the right move there. I, I no no objections to that at all. Uh, fifth pick of the draft, our first pitcher, uh, Max Scherzer, went number five. Uh, I don't think any of us, you know, would argue that he is not the top pitcher in baseball from a fantasy perspective right now. Uh, but fifth pick, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before the pod. A little little high for Scherzer. Uh. I think it's just yeah, it's high for a pitcher. I I I wonder why he gets put right in there. I I can understand why you would draft him. Like, okay, so you log in and you've got the you've got the fifth pick, and the rankings are what they are, and the system is basically telling you you have to either draft Max Scherzer, JD Martinez, or reach up and take one of these next power speed guys like Ronald Acuna or Christian Yelich. Um, there are problems with all of these players. So you might think Max Scherzer has been one of the best pitchers in baseball for, for several years. You can pencil in almost 300 strikeouts and really good averages. I can see why you'd make that call. I just, I think the rankings are, are a mistake. Um, so, you know, we're a whip league, obviously. And Scherzer last year was a .91 whip, which is just obscene. Yep. So I, I think that I can kind of see why um was it brad who took him at number five uh because you know we're all fighting for the for one tenth of a point or or two tenths in whip at the end of the season and having somebody who can put up 220 innings of a sub one whip i mean to me that's that's why you take him in the first round yep but 300 strikeouts i mean it's just interesting to me to, to see if if he can hold up there's no reason to think that he he won't hold up other than maybe his age but He's thrown 200 or more innings the last six years. Uh, I mean, I think he's the best pl- best pitcher in baseball. If if I were going to spend a first-round pick on a pitcher, it would surely be Max Scherzer. Me too. Uh, I think my my point is really about, like, uh, Kershaw used to go right around there because there was no one else. Like, there was Kershaw, and then there was nobody else like him. And then there was nobody else like the top four. Uh Pitching was regarded as like this really scarce asset, um, but this year I think Max Scherzer is kind of a lot like Jacob Degrom, um, and Degrom's available a lot later. Uh, and then there seems to be like I think the top four is turning into a top eight situation. So there's just there's a lot of pitching, and uh, I think Scherzer deserves the distinction as best pitcher, but best pitcher at what at what point? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, next we had uh, J.D. Martinez. And I also have concerns about J.D. Martinez. He's had injuries in the past. Last year was just astonishing. What do you think about him? Yeah, I, I think I remember about a year ago us talking about J.D. Martinez yeah. and wondering if, if he was going to complete the, his ascendancy to being like a you know a surefire first-round pick or if he was going to maybe be a little bit of a letdown. But he basically put up the season that we, we all – Saw the we saw the potential. I, I think some of us needed some help believing it would happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it's 
you know, he, he plays, he doesn't play in the field every day. All he's got to do is go out there and hit in this great Boston lineup. And, uh, the, my only concern with him really is, is, uh, on base percentage, but he hit over four, he had over 400 on base percentage last year. Um, I mean, he's not going to steal you any bases, which you like to see in, in a first round player, but I, I mean, you know, his skill set is such that I'm not very concerned about him. And you mentioned injuries, uh, I mean that's that's the only thing really that could that could make this a bad pick. That's the only thing about him in general. I mean, it, he so Nolan Arenado and JD Martinez are sort of the same type of player in the top ten. Um, if you told me JD Martinez will play 150 games or more this season, I would take him over Nolan Arenado. He has risen to a level that like is is truly elite. Uh, it's just it's a it's a health question. Um. So next we had, I think, like the first the first biggish surprise of the draft for me. That was uh, Matt Tompkins taking Alex Bregman seventh overall. I know you're a Bregman fan, but what did you? I'm think a huge early? Bregman fan, and I took him early last year, and uh, I I think it was in the second or third rounds, and I grew impatient, and I ended up trading him, and I I, I live to regret that decision because he he had a really great second half, which really propelled him into the first round consideration. I think. Mm-hmm. But everything I've seen from him over the last two years has been incredibly impressive. I mean, he's a, he's a fun guy to root for. And, I mean, I didn't really foresee 30 home run power. But there's to me, there's nothing that says that he can't do that again or even improve on that a little bit. And, I mean, getting that out of a middle infielder, uh, I can certainly see why Matt Tompkins, uh, you know, got him in the first round. Yeah. I... He, he a lot his skills yeah they they do border on elite he's uh, like Jose Ramirez I think he his his walks may his walks did exceed his strikeouts last year uh, so you know that the averages are going to be very safe OBP or batting average it doesn't matter his OBP happens to be somewhere in the 400 range so he really is quite good in that way um, to me like and I love his position eligibility I love him I think he's a, a really fun player to root for as well. And as it turns out, a big fantasy player or former fantasy player himself. Mm. Um, but I look at him and Ben and and it's like, they're kind of the same player. One, you know, Bregman has like more home runs and fewer stolen bases, but it's the same volume of the same volume of numbers. There 30 home runs. I think he can do again. I don't know if he's going higher than that. And uh, if he doesn't, I don't know if he's going to justify this. Solution. Yeah, I, I mean, he's a, he's a very good player, you know, n- 9 out of 10 in, in a lot of categories. But I'm just not sure I see Bregman putting up, like, MVP caliber numbers. Like, I, I guess I just – it's hard for me to see how high he could go. 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, 100 runs, good on base percentage. I mean, that's an elite player. But I think that this might be about Bregman's limit, at, you know, I don't know if I can see him being in a top in the top five going forward. Right. Yeah. No. He's he's juiced at that at that position, um, but still not a player who's going to hurt you. Just sort of an interesting an interesting move. I don't think I saw that happen in, in any of my mock drafts this year. Um, next, you had a player who was kind of all over the place with with a lot of potential upside. Uh, your hometown guy, Ronald Acuna Jr. Yeah. Um, you know, I think. It's, it's the most risky first round pick by far uh, because a lot of these players have what they, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but they have like a sophomore slump where 
you know, one time through the league, the scouting reports improve and, you know, maybe he has an adjust adjustment period this year. I mean, I was shocked when I saw that he was rated in the top 10 in a lot of these fantasy pre-draft rankings. Uh, the potential is certainly there for him to be even a top five fantasy player this year. I just, he's so volatile at, you know, at 21 years old. I just think it's an extremely risky pick personally. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of track record. He plays a physical game. I mean, watching him twerk, tweak his knee, uh, last year was, was painful to watch. Um, and you know, that's the kind of accident I think that you can avoid. Like if you play the game where you're, you know, you adjust the dial down to, to nine or so when you're trying to leg it out to first base, that doesn't happen to everybody. Um, but I mean, the 30, 30 players are not, you know, they don't grow on trees and he's one of the only guys on the board who can do it. So I expected him to be in the top 10 and, I expected him to get drafted even higher than this. Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, I could foresee a scenario where he puts up trout-like numbers this year. Exactly. But I could also see a scenario where he scuffles a bit. You know, his his batting average goes down. He strikes out a lot. Uh, you know, he just really has an adjustment period. So really interesting pick and probably one of the players who I'll obviously follow the closest this year. So I'm kind of glad that I don't have him on my team because I would just it would just be too much too much invested into this you know, guy who I follow so closely in, you know, real life and in fantasy. So I I know that uh, Chris Prince is a uh, Braves fan as well. So I'm sure that he'll enjoy watching every Acuna about this year. Yeah. Uh, After that, and I expected these players to go in opposite order uh, at number nine, King of Sting uh, with Christian Yellick. I love this pick. I, I mean, I understand why Yellick is not ranked in the top four. Uh, because he still hits the ball on the ground a lot. Uh, his fly ball rate isn't that high. Um, and, you know, I think this is in most people's rear view mirror, but I'm still sort of generally aware that he's had some back issues in the past and that can be really problematic for, for hitters. Everything about him, though, screams like draft this player in the top with one of your first three picks. I mean, yeah, if he did it in Milwaukee, which is a great hitter's park for, for lefties. Um, I think he can do it again. So this looks like a, a tremendous value pick here. Did you see this coming with Yelich? I mean, it's easy to say now, like, you know, oh, I saw him co- being an MVP player, but nope. you know, I, I didn't either. I saw a very good player, you know, 300 player, 20 home runs, you know, good on base percentage. I just, last year, I remember people hinting at it for, for years, like, oh, if, if Yelich ever figures it out, he could be an MVP player. I just didn't quite see it. But I, he seems like a really good guy. I, I like watching him play, so I'm glad it did happen. And I think, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he puts up another MVP quality season. Yep. Um, no, I think getting him ninth overall is, is really a steal. And then if you're drafting this late and a guy like that falls to you, even though he didn't have to fall too far... I would be feeling great about going into the second round and scooping up another one of these players who justifiably could be ranked in the top 10 themselves. Uh, our 10th pick was Jose Altuve, who you know was a top three pick for the last few years. So do you think that's a good value getting at number 10? This is a personal take. I, I don't like Altuve, but I'm also glad I wasn't put in a position where I had to choose between him and someone else because he wasn't just a number three. He was the number two last year, uh, or he should have been number two. He didn't go number two in our league. He was number two everywhere. 
And in some leagues where you count batting average, he was a clear number one pick over Mike Trout because, you know, he's got that ability to hit like 340, 350, uh, truly elite batting average. But, uh, you know, I think we see like how, how fragile it all is for a guy like that, because if he's not feeling right and he can't max effort swing and get those, you know, home runs that take him up to from, you know, a 15 to 20 to 30 home run level player. Uh, and if his legs aren't feeling right, that skill set is not worth it in the first round. Interesting stats about Altuve. So we all know that he, he gets on base a lot, 200 plus hits, uh, you know, pretty low walk rate. But I, I was just looking at his stats the last few years. 2014, he only scored 85 runs. 2015, 86 runs. Last year, 84 runs. I mean, we were just talking about Mookie Betts, who scored 129 runs last year in, you know, 20 games short of a full season. It's surprising me that Altuve doesn't score more runs. Well, I think that's all about the way they use him. I mean, George Springer is the leadoff man in Houston, and Altuve has hit third, I think, for a while. So, you know, if you're looking at runs in RBI, and that's really not my main focus here, I just assume that they'll fall into place for a really good hitter. Um He's kind of like, he doesn't do a ton in either one, but he does give you more RBI than a flat-out table-setter player. Absolutely. Well, I, I I mean, I love watching him play. I would, I would be thrilled if Altuve, you know, proved us all wrong and, and you know, put up his best season yet this year. I mean, I think that's good for baseball. Um, but, you know, he's got a lot of mileage on him for, for a relatively young player. Yeah. Um, he plays the game really hard. Uh, so this will be a, one of the most interesting players to follow this year, I think. Yeah, for sure. And also, like, it's it's not a pick I would make, but I recognize that. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, this is a little embarrassing, but uh, Chris and I just realized that we'd been talking for about 20 minutes. Uh, we covered a lot of ground, uh, and the recording had stopped after 30 minutes for some reason. So um, we were somewhere towards the end of the of the top 10. Uh, we left off at Jose Altuve. Um, Chris and I agreed that Turner is an interesting but dangerous player at number 11, but with tons of upside, and then heaped praise on Justice League for rolling up uh, Bryce Harper and uh, Aaron Judge. Yeah, and an incredible uh, use of that 12th and 13th uh, pick snake arounds uh, for the Justice League. Um, I think we were all really impressed with with those picks, and uh, like I was, I was saying with Teo when we were not being recorded. I mean, it, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if if both Harper and Judge ended up at top five fantasy players this year. So just a really great use of the picks. So yeah, yeah, very smart. So uh, the other thing we discussed at at length, which we unfortunately have to truncate, is that um, we we both think that like this draft environment drafting against the managers in this league is, is always incredibly challenging and, and outside the box. Um, you can't auto pick, uh, you can't sleep. You have to like keep track of what's going on. Uh, and you have to get used to the idea that a lot of special players that you might, that you might be interested are going to go, uh, early because this league does its research. And that was no different this year. And I, you know, I think Chris and I both got, a taste of that drafting somewhere around the ends. Um, you know, you wait 20 picks and you watch the league do something really uh, interesting and, and exploit a lot of value on the board. And but one other thing we talked about that I want to be sure that we mentioned uh, before moving on to our, our prospect segment is uh, the cat, the state of the catching industry in, in fantasy baseball. And 
you know, Teo has a really interesting strategy about uh, platooning his catchers. And, and I, I, was, I was saying that last year, my biggest regret was spending a, a fifth round pick on, uh, on Wilson Contreras. And, uh, you know, he put up all right numbers, but I don't know if, if I would not have been able to find that kind of production, say the 20th round or, you know, a, a catcher that I plucked off the waiver wire. And uh, Ted, do you just want to go through your strategy this year for, for the catchers that you chose? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's something to be said for getting Gary Sanchez or Real Muto this year. I would have been happy with either of them, but I always planned on, you know, if you don't get them and don't go out of your way to get them, get them at a reasonable price, wait as long as you possibly can. Um, because there's really, there's no other quality. Catchers are just very, very bad. And everybody's playing on a level playing field. You don't need to worry about your bad catcher being particularly worse than other people's. Just stream it. Don't worry about it. But I did have this idea, um, you know, Francisco Mejia should be on everybody's radar because he's an elite hitting catching prospect. He's going to get playing time this year. But the market for him was extremely cool because, the Padres were saying up front, uh, he is going to split playing time more or less down the middle with Austin Hedges. And Hedges is one of these guys you could justifiably pick at like round 22 um, and be okay with him as your catcher. He does have 15 to 20 home run ability. Um, but I saw this opportunity here to um, put them together, especially if you're drafting uh, at the turn and you can make sure you can get both of them. So um, nobody was chasing Mejia. I didn't have to try hard. This was round 19 go, going on 20. Uh, and I got both Mejia and Hedges. And all of a sudden, you've got real upside, you know, some 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 dynamite um, in Francisco Mejia. Uh, and then when he's not playing, I all I have to do is plug in Austin Hedges for the most part. And suddenly I'm taking this position where you don't get any kind of quality, but you also get almost no volume because your catcher sits all the time and looking at, you know, 500 to 550 plate appearances at that position. So it's a risky out of the box maneuver, but I feel like it's one of the few ways you can sort of fabricate uh, value at the catcher position. This I year. think it's a brilliant idea. My concern is that it's going to take a lot of upkeep to, to make sure that you're getting as many at bats as, as you plan to get out of these two players uh you know you're, you're gonna have to be checking the san diego padres uh lineups every day and mm -hmm. I, I mean maybe that's not a big deal but to me i, I would be a little intimidated by that situation well th this is the thing like it, i've had more than one catcher on my roster at different points i've never had catchers on the same team who are going to e basically evenly split playing time like there's not a third name in the mix that i'm really aware of um so all i have to do is make sure that I know which one of them is starting in this one game. I don't have to look at multiple multiple games playing in different time zones and make sure that that one is starting. I don't think you can create these platoons everywhere. I think this is a lot about the fact that there are two viable catchers and one with a lot of upside playing on the same team that have a very like straightforward brokered um, arrangement with respect to, to plate appearances. So I think it does take a little bit more work but this is work that you're going to do one way or the other because you, if you don't get a good catcher, you're constantly streaming and hitting the wire trying to find some kind of value there. It's a fascinating strategy. And uh, two years ago, you know, I'm a Braves fan. I watch the Braves every night. Uh, they had Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki splitting yep. plate appearances. And 
if you combine the if you combined uh, their stats, it was something like twenty five home runs, like a three fit, like a really good. You know, if those were the stats for one player, they would have been like one of the top fantasy catchers. But on their own, nobody really thought. You know, oh, Kurt Suzuki or Tyler Flowers is is worth grabbing. You know, in the draft. But I, I mean, it could be a brilliant strategy. And uh, yeah, I mean, my only concern, like I'm saying, is just keeping up with it. But I'm I'm sure you can. So that'll be one of the more interesting subplots to watch this year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Moving on. Uh, everybody in this league loves prospects, and we have some really interesting ones this year uh, that we want to talk about from a fantasy perspective. Uh, and first and foremost is Vlad Guerrero Jr. Yeah, I, I'm so happy that the year of the Vlad is finally here. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what he's like. Um, and it, this is a guy who's going to play in my division and create headaches for me for the next, you know, for the next six or seven years. Um, but he just looks like a lot of fun. I thought Vlad Guerrero Sr. was, uh, you know, just an incredibly interesting type of player. Very unique. Um as a fantasy asset, I, I really, it's a different picture for me. Uh, he went late in this league, so I'm not necessarily complaining about the specific pick in our instance. Um, but his ranking in the first four rounds or so was higher than I've seen for anybody, and that includes Chris Bryant, uh, Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna Jr., who was in the hundreds last year. Uh, and that was kind of a turnoff for me. I felt like that takes all the fun out of it. I mean, if you're going to draft a prospect, you, you have to get them, you're, you're getting a, you know, top 20 style player for a discount because there's a lot of uncertainty around playing time. And there was just like, there was no accounting for that here. It was like this, this valuation is based on the assumption that he will get called up like on time and he will immediately hit the ground running and be productive for the entire season. He's probably going to do that but I just don't like betting on it. And the thing that made this ranking really difficult for me to swallow is that uh, Eloy Jimenez looks like the same player to me, but with potentially more power and he's available 70 picks later. So, you know, some people know Eloy is not like an unknown player or something, but he doesn't have the celebrity status of Vlad Guerrero. And uh, you know, the, I use Eloy as a measuring stick. Like if, if that kind of player is worth this much looking at Eloy, then Vlad is is severely overpriced. What I certainly I certainly see what you're saying about that, and it'll be fascinating to follow those two guys side by side this year. Um, I think that they will both be fantasy relevant um, as soon as in May, you know, May or June. Mm-hmm. Um, Eloy just signed a long term contract, uh, and that all signs point to him. You know, if he's not on the roster opening day, he, he should be there shortly after. So, um, you know. These guys, I mean, Vlad Guerrero Jr. went the 68th pick. Eloy is 111th pick. I'm just wondering what you need to get out of a player at those picks for it to be seen as worth it. I don't think it'll be hard for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to put up the kind of numbers that the 68th pick should necessitate. I mean, he should be hitting 20 or more home runs with a very good on-base percentage. Um, He has third base eligibility, and I don't know if he's going to play there or just be DH, but I, it's hard for me to see him truly being a bust at the 68th overall pick. Me too. I, I think I'm, I, I'm using this platform to complain more about the ranking. Um, if he was ranked 68th and, dra- and drafted 68th, I'd feel a little more cool headed about it and be okay with the fact that he's overhyped. Um, 
but you know, I just, I soured on him so much because in all my mock drafts, he kept going right there. Like nobody's thinking about Eloy or how much this guy's really worth it. It's just grabbing the name value. And that, that made me uncomfortable, but as it always happens, they look unappealing on the draft board. Uh, you know, if you can't stomach the time that they're just sitting in the minors, but by the time they get called up, you're you're sitting there watching someone else enjoying it, and you're like, God, I wish that was me. One great thing about the league is that we all follow these prospects. We all know about them. So I, I'm saying it's a great thing about the league. It also makes it more challenging because there's not much chance that you're the you're the one person in the league following like a, a hot prospect, and you know there's not going to be any competition for grabbing him before he he makes his debut. Um, one player who. Another prospect who I think could have a huge impact this year is Nick Senzel, um, owned by Chips Eloy. Uh, I mean, Senzel, you know, has, has been known as a prof- professional hitter uh, throughout his minor league career, and he already has experience playing at a high-end college. So I, I think that he, in terms of players who could really hit the ground running, I think that Senzel could surprise a lot of people. I would expect him to be the National League's Rookie of the Year, and I think that he could be putting up some really solid numbers uh, as soon as you know, early this summer, you have many thoughts on Senzel. Yeah. I, Senzel can, I just don't see where he gets the playing time. And it's like the injury risk is definitely higher for him. Um, but it also concerns me that suddenly the infield is kind of locked up. You know, Suarez has developed into, you know, the kind of guy you want to stick at third and just not think about anymore. He'll play him in every game. Um, the infield is crowded. The outfield is ridiculously crowded. Uh, you know, if his path to playing time this year was based on being able to figure out center field and take that job from guys who've played it before, um, that made me a little uncomfortable. I think that reflects in the pricing. It's not like you have to reach for him in the first 10 rounds. He's available very late. Um, but all of that came together and made me sort of wishy-washy on him. So I, I only got him in one league and now he's going to the minors and I don't know when well, he's coming up. The, the news today was that Scooter Jeanette is out for two to three months, and that could have a huge impact on Senzel, who has been playing it in center fields uh, over in spring training and, you know, has played most of the infield positions. So uh, it will be really interesting to see, you know, if the Reds are in contention, if, you know, if, if they don't feel like they can be patient waiting for a guy like Senzel to get up to speed. But one of the, he's definitely one of the players who I will be following closest of the, of the rookie crop. Um, another one who I wanted to mention is Victor Robles, who w- went to the Mats team in the eighth round. I was a little surprised he was drafted in the top 100, um, but he's a player who's shown five-tool potential. He was mentioned in the same breath as Acuna a lot over the last couple of years. Um, were you a little surprised to see him go that early? No, I, I always assumed that, you know, I, I got Robles in basically every draft, and that was simple. I just, I'd reach, I'd reach up about 10 picks for him wherever I was drafting from uh, and make sure that I got Robles because his, his skill set is incredibly rare. I mean, he looked a lot to me like Sterling Marte. And that makes it interesting that Matt drafted him because Matt got a great discount on Sterling Marte. Uh, I think he was like in the seventh round or something this year. It was insane. Um, so I was surprised to see him go after Robles as well, considering how similar they are. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you've been stocking up on power hitters and uh, starting pitchers and you, you don't really know where your stolen bases are coming from and it's the eighth round, you could do a lot worse than getting Victor Robles. I think he's a very high quality player. One thing that makes me hesitant about Robles is we've seen so many 
uh, rookies have such immediate success. I mean, there's his teammate Juan Soto, there's Acuna, there are others that, you know, I think we, we might be putting a little too much pressure on some of these rookies to think that they have to produce right away. I mean, it usually takes a couple of years. So, I mean, everything I've heard about Robles is positive. I mean, he, he's one of the, you know, he has all the tools, you know, he should be an all-star caliber player, but most of the time it doesn't work out immediately. And I know he's had a couple of cups of coffee in the major leagues already. I just don't know if I'd be take if I'd be reaching for him right now, knowing that, you know, a 21 year old player should struggle at first. Well, uh, I think you just you have to consider the contributions that he could make. I mean, if he's if he's a power hitter, like if he's a player like Senzel, who, you know, maybe you're not sure where the playing time is or what he's going to be like when he gets his first major league at bat and the upside for him is getting 20 to 25 home runs, wait or don't even do it. But you can't wait for stolen bases. They're an incredibly scarce stat. And again, it's. It, it, it's a roster construction question. If you've already figured out stolen bases, no need to take a chance there. Uh, but if you haven't, you're unlikely to find them anywhere else. And you're especially unlikely to find them from a guy who has uh, potential upside on batting average. He, he could hit more pop. I mean, he's not a Billy Hamilton style player. He has um, the kind of approach that could give him 10 to 20 home runs this year. Um, so, you know, in some ways, I think like obviously – Depending on the way you've built your lineup so far, he's an obvious pick over Eloy Jimenez uh, in some ways because he does have a job going into the opening, going into opening day, and he fills a hole that is sometimes very difficult to fill. That's an excellent point about Robles. Well, I mean, you know, there are other rookies out there um, who should be fantasy relevant this year. We haven't really mentioned any pitchers, but kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, the pitchers, you know, probably aren't don't bring the hype as much as these young hitters, but I think that there are rookie pitchers out there who we will all be, you know, clamoring over uh, come June or July. Uh, one of them that is Quampolatus Forrest Whitley, who looks like, you know, the next young ace pitcher on the Astros. Um, you know, he's not going to be on the roster at the beginning of the season, but any pitchers out there, rookie pitchers catching your eye? Uh, it was all about Chris Paddock. Uh, who I, I hadn't heard of before January or something when um, Ralph Lipschitz posted on Twitter that like Chris Paddock has, has made more strides than any other, any other pitching prospect. Uh, and then spring training starts and the guy throws like Jacob DeGrom, like high, like very high velocity, pinpoint accuracy throws nothing but fastballs, and nobody can hit them. He's kind of a late bloomer, right? I mean, from my understanding about Paddock is that he wasn't on the prospect radar so much a, a year ago, and maybe his velocity really increased or, or something like that, but he kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. I think he had Tommy John, but I'm not sure he had the, uh, I'm not sure he had the sort of credentials, the, the Michael Kopech style hype around him before he went down. Um, in any event, I think he was just sort of a prospect on ice while he was recovering from surgery, but um, what they said about his his command uh, and ability to paint the corners with some re- with really uh, spicy uh, fastballs um, is very interesting. He went he went super early in this draft, and I I don't blame him. Paddock uh, over his entire minor league career has made thirty three starts uh, only. Huh. He did miss uh, a season twenty seventeen for for Tommy John surgery. 
But what an interesting player. I mean, he doesn't have a huge amount of experience, but I have heard his name mentioned a lot as a sleeper. And he wasn't even ranked among the top 100 prospects until this year. So uh, that's a fascinating pick. And yeah, somebody who I'll be following closely. I think a really solid pick by I'm with her. Uh, I mean, a, a real true sleeper that could be fantasy relevant very quickly, I think. Yeah, definitely. So that's the prospect front. Um, any other final thoughts uh, on our draft uh, or uh, on our first podcast? Uh, I don't think so. I think we, I think we captured most of it. We should talk more. We should talk more about pitching because that's. I think that landscape is changing. That's where all the change is. I just don't know what that change is going to look like. So as we get into the season, we can start talking about you know guys you didn't see coming um, and whether uh, the breakouts from last year have still got it going on. Um, but again, you know, my compliments to this league. I'm so happy that uh, we retained almost all of our managers and uh, got a very competitive uh, manager to fill the void. Um, this draft stressed me out so bad. I felt like I was on a ecstasy come down afterward. <laughs> like I seriously could not think straight. Uh, it, it's just it's an incredible challenge. And I love that challenge. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I just I can't wait for the game to start. And it was nice to see, you know, that really cool Ichiro story. Uh, have a couple early games here to kind of get us in the mood uh, for for the for the rest of them. Um, I mean, we're, we're we're about a week a week down uh, until until the season starts, and Teo and I will be back with you uh, right after the season starts to talk about some of the early strong performances. And uh, like we said, we'll we'll be hosting this podcast pretty regularly this year, so we're looking forward to having some guest appearances, uh, some special segments, and yeah, I just can't wait for the season to start. Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely, we got a lot of people in New York City this year. So we're going to, um, you know, either do some recordings. Uh, I've got a couple of friends at work who are in this league um, or get people on, but I'm, I'm excited about that and maybe about doing, as you suggested, a, a group outing to City Field or something. Like absolutely. That. Cool. All right. Until next time.